Welcome to Fireside Chats for the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. This is Dorothy Stewart, and I am here with our two directors, Alex Dutton from Lafayette and Judy House from Walnut Creek. And we're here today to talk about discipline strategies. So why is this an important topic, Alex? Because everybody has children that misbehave for very many different reasons. And know that children are not misbehaving because they want to make your life difficult. There are lots of developmentally appropriate reasons that children are going to act the way that they do. And it really helps when you as a parent or a teacher have an understanding of development and brain development just a little bit so that you know what to expect and that all of this is totally normal. Well, can you explain to me what development has to do with this exactly? What kind of development are you talking about? There's just a lot of development that's happening globally for the children. It's something that they're, they're trying to figure out how they move, how, how to talk, how to walk. And they're also figuring out how their emotions and their actions will affect other people around them, other things around them, how they affect you. You know, if you consider every action, both a positive action and a negative action as a way to communicate something to you, it's, it kind of changes how you look at all of their behavior. Like all behavior is communication. So they have a lot of different things that are, they're working out. And very specifically, their brains are still developing. They don't have a lot of the ability to problem solve or self-regulate or to always use their words because their brains are just not ready to do those things. Another thing I've learned about brain development that has always stuck with me is that the prefrontal cortex, which is the frontal part of your brain where problem solving and all of these different important skills reside, is actually not fully developed until people are 25 years old. So that's just fascinating to me that we're, we expect a lot sometimes of our two and three and four year olds, but there's so much that isn't going to be developed until they're 25. Wow. Judy, what kind of strategies have been helpful to you in terms of discipline, either as a parent or as a classroom teacher? Well, I, I can speak to it as, let's see, a classroom teacher and as a parent. It's just dependent on the child. The relationship is really key when you're trying to help a child with whatever the issue is. I know with my, I have two children. My oldest, when she has, she's really upset, something's happened, and she has really heightened emotions. If I meet her with heightened emotions, you know, things just escalate. <laughs> it, that doesn't really help. If I meet her with empathy and say, you know, you know, gee, I see you're really upset. Um, you know, you're crying because this happened and you didn't like whatever happened. You know, she kind of melts a little bit and, and it helps overcome the problem and can help her get back into thinking about it instead of reacting to it and helps us work through it instead of escalating and having a bigger problem. My youngest child, if he's upset because something has happened and we need to talk about it, I know he needs a little space first. If I try to talk to him right away, he just gets, you know, even angrier and he just, he's just not ready. <laughs> so you, you have to wait. You have to read your children, whether they're your own or uh, in a classroom, and know when to step in and know what to say. And, you know, at Old Firehouse School, because the teachers are with their group of children for several years, um, it just makes it that much easier to be attuned and know how to help them the best way that you can when there's an issue that comes up. So you're saying there really has to be a deep relationship for this to work. Yeah, it works best. Can you give 
three big takeaways for parents in terms of discipline strategies? So I think the first thing I always want to remember is the idea of uh, Daniel Siegel's, which is connect before you direct. And that means that instead of yelling from across the room, go get your shoes on because we're going to go outside, trying to meet the child at their level, connecting with them and doing, talking with them about what they're doing first and then giving the direction. If you think about it as an adult, when someone just comes at you into your office and you're in the middle of something and just says, I need you to print out five copies of something. All of us, I think, are met when, when that happens, we feel a little bit like, well, well, that didn't feel good. You, you want a little bit more interaction before someone asks you to do something or tells you to do something. And I think it goes the same way for children, that children would prefer having interactions with us before being told to do something, especially something that they might not be ready to do. So this helps avoid a lot of different situations that might turn ugly. So um, if it's time for bed, for example, and my kids are in the middle of something, I might play with them for a couple of minutes and time it so that like, okay, if I want them to brush their teeth by 8.15, by 8.05, I'm hanging out with them for a little bit, playing with them, and then saying, okay, guys, two more minutes, and then we're going to go brush our teeth. And then they'll say, oh, okay, mama. And they're more likely to do that when I am hanging out with them rather than if I just yell from across the house. And we do this with the children at Old Firehouse School all the time. I think a lot of teachers do this where they they try to get the children's attention and hang out with them a little bit before redirecting them to another transition. That makes me think of something that almost nightly happens at my house where one of my children really likes to read and they get absorbed into their book so much so that they they can't hear me if I'm calling across the house or even standing at her doorway. <laughs> you have um, to be right there. <laughs> yeah, you have to be like, hey, hey. Oh, it looks like a really good book, but we're going to have to shower in about five minutes. Um, that works much better, you know, because if I if I call her from the couch <laughs> and she's in her bedroom, you know, I can call her five times and I can be yelling and she's she's not paying attention. So, yeah, the connect before you direct really hits home. And it also, I think, makes us as parents and adults less stressed out because when you have to call five times from another room, get your shoes on, we're going outside, we have to go to school, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And then your level of stress goes up. And then they're like, I don't know why you're so angry. (laughs) And it just makes things worse. So if you can take the time to connect with them, and then everybody feels a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, you feel like the best parent you can be. Right. (laughs) And, you know, it's not going to work 100% of the time, but it will work a lot of the time and it will just help, again, prevent a lot of these different issues. And now a quick break. When we come back, we'll share two more helpful discipline strategies. Do you ever wish someone would cook and clean for you? I sure do. We offer you the OFS concierge service. Order food from Jesse A. Laurent or have your house cleaned by housekeeping Delphine. These services are here to help the OFS community make your life easier. Remember, a portion of every food order and housekeeping service is given back to your child's teacher. See our website for more information and click on the concierge button. Thank you. And now, back to our podcast. So I get one strategy is to connect before you direct. Okay, is there another strategy? Um, yes, <laughs> there is, Dorothy. Um, we like to assume positive intent. That's from Becky Bailey. 
Um, instead of if two children in our classroom are arguing over a truck, instead of coming in and being upset at somebody pulling something, you would say something like, oh, you guys both want a truck. Hey, there's another truck over here. Or, you know, or if they really need that specific one truck, you know, ask, you can ask how many minutes or depending on the age of the child, say next, me next. If they're young, you know, I want to be next. Assuming positive intent means that you are doing exactly that. You are not thinking that the child is trying to hurt another child or trying to make your life harder. It's you're assuming that your child is your child doesn't want to get his shoes on because he's so involved in his game right now or he's she's really loving her book. She's not ignoring me. She's just so engrossed in her book that she can't hear me tell her it's time to go take a bath. So it helps a lot of the time just for the parent and the adult reframing of how to engage that child. I've also used this um, when there's some maybe not so appropriate language happening. I will say, what was that? I didn't, I didn't quite hear you. And it sort of gives the child a chance to like, oh, let me say that in a better way or a nicer way or a more appropriate way. It kind of gives them a second chance too. So sometimes when there is something happening in in the classroom and maybe there's one child that is more often, you know, quote unquote, in trouble or more often disciplined than other children. When you approach them with positive intent and you say something more open-ended like, what's happening? How can I help you? Then you don't necessarily have that child clam up and get defensive and maybe able to open up a little bit more about what actually happened. And he took the truck that I was using and I didn't like it rather than that child storming away and running away. So it allows for a little bit more open-mindedness from all the parties involved that everyone is going to be given some support and some assistance rather than you assigning blame immediately to one party or another. Okay, so we've got connect before you direct. Now we have assuming positive intent. What more do you guys have up your sleeve here? (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was that easy that they were all just in my sleeve. Um, I think the final thing we wanted to mention is natural consequences. And I think this one can be a little bit tricky for parents because all of us grew up with a, if you don't take out the trash right now, you're grounded. Or if you don't, you know, fix your bed, you don't get to watch TV for a week. That's not what a natural consequence is. Uh, A natural consequence is going to be a consequence to a behavior that is fairly immediate and connected to what is happening at that with that child at that moment. And because the children are so young, and because they don't have a great understanding of something I did four hours ago is going to affect what's going to happen for me at home this evening, natural consequences are really important. I have an example of a boy who would consistently throw toys over the fence. <laughs> um, I'm not sure why, but that's just what he did. And so insta- I think he was looking for the negative reinforcement. So instead of getting upset that he had thrown toys over the fence, I just got down low on his level and um, just explained matter-of-factly that, oh, hey, now that shovel's over there. You see the tall fence? It's on the other side of the fence, and now we can't play with it. And so you could see him kind of just taking a moment and processing that and like maybe wondering why I wasn't getting upset about it. But that happened enough times that he eventually stopped throwing toys over the fence. He wasn't getting negative reinforcement and he wasn't getting to play with the toy. 
Right. And so, I mean, that happens so frequently at my house when um, my little one, he will take anything that has any length at all and just turn it into a sword and just poke his sister with it. And I'll give him a warning of if you're going to hit your sister with that sword, I'm going to take it away. And, you know, he might do it another time and go, okay, I'm taking it away now. And it's gone. And I don't have to have a long lecture about it. Um, You know, he might be upset, he might cry. And I will just say, I told you, I was going to take it away because you were not being safe with it. And now it's gone. And maybe we can try again in a few minutes. And it's immediate. And it's related to what's happening. It's not you won't be able to watch TV later, or you won't be able to play with this train or something. So the, it's, it's really important for very young children to give them a consequence that makes sense to them and is happening very close to the actual incident. And, and to follow through with what you said you were going to do, being consistent. Yes, definitely don't ever make a promise or a threat that you can't follow through on because then you've just boxed yourself in and you're, ch- and you're teaching your child that um, my mom isn't consistent or my dad isn't consistent. So as much as possible mention things that are going to make sense and and that you can follow through on. So the three points are to connect before you direct, assume positive intent, and use natural consequences. So those are the three big takeaways. Is there anything else you guys want to add before we close out? Parenting and teaching is hard, and it's not something that comes naturally to many of us. But we are all really interested in learning about it and sharing with you what we know. And we wish you all the best of luck. Yes, thank you very much for tuning in. Please look for a new podcast very soon. And subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe.